Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about be blessed. Be blessed. We're going through the Beatitudes, uh, which is part of the greatest sermon ever preached, which was preached by Jesus Christ himself some 2,000 or so years ago. He preached this sermon. This sermon is what I refer to as kingdom law. It's a, it's a, it's a, a series of behavioral instructions for those who would come into the kingdom of Christ. There's a, there's a law that supersedes the laws of nations and, and civilizations that are currently on the earth. These are, these are laws that, that God is calling us to, that is giving us the character of what it means to be a child of God and a citizen of heaven. And so it is kingdom law. It's what differentiates us from the rest of the world, how we live, but more importantly, how we live this way is by being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Because this law, as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, let me tell you something, it is impossible to live this way without Jesus, at least for any length of time. So I want to open this by, by encouraging you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, these wonderful rules, this wonderful law book that, that Jesus put in the beginning of the, the gospel account of Matthew is available to you through salvation through Jesus' name. So I hope that you will trust in Christ this morning. And, and the way we do this is we recognize that, Lord, I have broken your law. I can't even live up to my own standards. How many of you, when you would look in the mirror are disappointed at what you see. And I'm not talking about your physical presence. I don't know very many who haven't been disappointed by what they see physically. But I mean, you look in the mirror and you realize, why did I say that? Why did I do that? That's not who I want to be. See, we can't even keep our own standards, much less God's standards. And so when we say, and the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Listen, no one is exempt from that statement, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is His mark of perfection. The glory of God is the person of Jesus Christ Himself. How many of you watching this morning, online, in person, how many of you would say, look, I live just like Jesus lived. I turn the other cheek. I always told the truth. I love people that hate me. Not... No one, no one could say, I measure up to that glorious standard. And so what God did was, He loved us so much, He gave that standard, He gave that only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, 
And when he went to the cross, and we just sang about it, he died to take the punishment for all of our sins, past, present, future. When he died on the cross, we were all the future to God, to Jesus in that moment. And he saw our lives, and he saw our sinfulness, and he took the punishment for us. And he was buried, and three days later, because God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of God the Son, three days later after he paid the penalty that we owe for our sins, after he took the hit, after he paid the fine, right? After he took the jail time, after he took the sentence, three days later he rose from the grave so that all who would call upon the name of the Lord, turning to him from their sin, trusting in his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, we could all be saved. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Trust in Jesus alone. Forget about religion. Forget about whatever denomination you were brought up in. I don't care if it's Baptist, Catholic, Nazarene, Pentecostal. It doesn't matter if you're trusting in anything else. But Jesus Christ, you are not redeemed. You are not saved. You are not a child of God. And you can be today. You can become a child of God today. And I hope you will. How do I do it? Call on the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Lord Jesus, look at me. I am a sinner by, by birth and by choice. I don't even live up to my own standards, much less yours, but I believe, Jesus, you came to earth and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for me and rose from the grave. And I ask that you would save my eternal soul. God Almighty, I make Jesus' life a sacrifice for my sin, and I thank you for sending him. And the Bible says if you will believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that you shall be saved. So I hope that you will do that. This kingdom law is a beautiful panorama of what the, what the kingdom of heaven looks like. But if you don't know Jesus, you are not part of the kingdom of heaven. Not yet. And I hope you'll trust him today, and if not today, someday soon. So let us begin reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain. When he, and he was, when he was seated, he, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. This is, this is where we're going to go this morning. First of all, we need to be reminded that, that being blessed means to be favored to have an abundance of joy, right? That comes out of that favor that God has placed upon you. 
And so these are sort of, uh, you could almost dumb it down to say happy are, happy are, happy are, but it's, it's a lot deeper than happy. It's joyful, it's favored, right? It's, it's content, it's calm. It's all of those positive and amazing words that God places upon you as you begin to live out these beatitudes. And, you know, we looked last week at blessed are the mourned, or those that mourn. We, we looked the week before at blessed are, are those who are poor in spirit. And those two, those two opening uh, statements of Jesus, they build up to this next one. See, to be poor in spirit, right, to be needy in spirit recognizes, as I, as I opened the sermon, that, that we need Jesus. Without him, we are lost, and we, we are with, without hope, we are without strength, we are without power, we need Jesus. The Bible says, while we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Right? We were without strength, we were without hope, we were poor, we were needy in spirit, and we turned to the Eternal One, and we were redeemed and saved and brought into the kingdom of heaven. Right, And then we talked about blessed are those that mourn, and, and certainly talking about a, a physical mourning as we lose those that we love around us, that the Holy Spirit of God Himself comforts us. But we also talked about the aspect of this, we are called into mourning over our own personal sin. And in that mourning, we turn back to the One who redeemed us, and the loss of our fellowship is restored. Right? That's, that's blessed are the mourn. When we're mourning over our sin, we're not just mourning over the fact that, oh, I failed again. We're mourning over the fact that that failure has caused a schism, a division between us and our Savior, between us and our Father, it has disturbed the fellowship, and that is what brings this mourning into our hearts. And so we seek restoration of that fellowship, and, and of course that's done by confessing our sins, cleansing our hands, and our, and our double-mindedness. And now we move on, right? As we, as we have mourned over sin, as we have been filled by the, by the person of the Holy Spirit, redeemed by Christ, right? He now says, listen now, blessed are, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Now, our culture, right? Typically, when we think of someone being meek, maybe not if you've been raised in church, but uh, I have a lot of people that weren't raised in church, and we think of meek, we think of weakness. We think of milk toast, right? Uh, when I say milk toast, think like baby food, right? Unflavored, bland. When you think of someone that's meek, that's what you think of. They're colorless. They're unflavored. They're not bold. They're bland. They're boring. That's what it means to be meek in our culture today, right? Meekness is weakness. Meekness is weakness. And, and here's the reality. That is the improper definition of meekness. And we're going to look a little bit at that this morning. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, that turns our culture on its head. And he said, the meek will inherit the earth. So we want to ask the question, we want to ask the question today, what is, is meekness? What is meekness? Why is it blessed? And so to do that, let's, let's turn in our Bibles. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 11. Verse number 28, for people that think meekness is milk toast, baby food, bland, colorless, you know, not bold, not courageous, meekness is weakness, this is what Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And that word gentle means I am meek. 
and lowly. He, he identifies himself with being meek. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the person of Christ. Meekness, meekness is the very character of the most dynamic, the most courageous, the boldest man the world has ever seen. Meekness is his character. So we know that meekness could not possibly mean weakness as it's attributed to the courageous one, Jesus Christ. The sacrificial one, Jesus Christ, who left his home in heaven to come to earth willingly, knowing he would die for our sins. That is the opposite of weakness. And so meekness describes our Savior. So we must ask this question, what does meekness mean? Meekness is controlled strength. It is strength under control. Strength under control. What we learn here is that true godly success, inherit the earth, does not come from aggressive, abusive, mean-spiritedness, but rather from a quiet strength, a strength that is at all times under control. A strength that is under control. Jesus is, is the prototypical meek person. He is the original. He is the OG of meekness, right? He controlled his strength for the world when he suffered on the cross for us. Right? We've heard the song. Well, I grew up with this song. My mom used to play Gaithers all the time. He could have called 10,000 angels right, to destroy the world and set him free. The fact is, Jesus didn't need to call even one angel. He was the Son of the living God. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. Right? This is... King Jesus here. He cast devils out of people. Demons trembled in His presence. That's Jesus. There are those that have embraced the occult because they have a misapprehension, a misunderstanding of Jesus thinking He is weak when it is the very demons and devils that they worship who tremble in the presence of the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. Listen, He is restrained, controlled strength for the good of His creation. That's what He did when He suffered on the cross. He took control of that strength and He restrained it for our benefit, for our good. I want you to think about this. Consider a horse that's broken to its rider. The strength of the horse does not disappear when the horse is broken to its rider, but the strength of the horse shifts into the hand of the rider. That's meekness. That's meekness. It's not, it's not an evaporation of strength. It's strength under the control of the hand of, of God. Meekness is strength that is controlled. Strength that is controlled for good purpose. So yesterday... I had an appointment with Joe. Joe is, is uh, one, of our, one of our young men here, and he has volunteered for our groundskeeping ministry, and we have a Gravely, uh, is it Gravely? Lawnmower, 52-inch deck, 24 horsepower, 
zero turn, right? And uh, he, he had texted me earlier this week, and he said, hey, Pastor, do you think you can come and, and maybe show me uh, a little bit of how to, how to manage this mower so that I don't create divots in the lawn every time I use it? And first of all, I thought, why is he asking me? Um, because I'm not an expert, but I've learned over time by creating those, those divots myself. Here's the deal. So I take it out back on the lawn here, and I'm thinking through my process. Uh, I was a finished carpenter. I know how to use power tools, and it's, it's all about feel and touch with me, and, and, and you, can, you, can just, you can feel the machine, and you can guide it, and it's about, it's about being in tune with the strength of that machine. And so as I'm, I'm going up and down the lawn on the side of our, our property over here, and I'm coming around the corner, and I'm turning it, listen, there's a lot of horsepower, 24 horsepower is a lot of power in a lawnmower for a lawn that's about the size of, of this stage here. And so I'm coming up around there, and I'm going to turn around. Here's the thing. This lawnmower is a blast. I mean, you can turn those handles, and it's a zero-turn radius. If you're on the pavement, you're leaving, you're leaving rubber. I mean, you, you do donuts in it. I'm not saying that I've done that. I'm just saying it's possible to have a lot of fun on this thing. So if you hit that zero-turn radius with all the 24-horsepower roaring, you know what you're going to do to the lawn? What I've done to the lawn in the past. You're going to cut a huge groove in the lawn with that center tire that doesn't move. It's spinning. Right? And then if you're not careful and you push those handles all the way forward and you engage all 24 horses immediately, you peel out on the grass, which is not good for the grass. So what do you have to do? You have all of this power that you're sitting on this seat, 24 horsepower, 52 inches of blade. You have all this power. You must learn how to control the power. There's a time to use that power when you're going up a hill or even when you're going across the lawn, you can kind of unleash it. But when you're going to turn, you got to slow it down. you got to make a loop. Otherwise, you're digging that divot. And so as I'm, I'm cutting this lawn, I'd written this sermon, and I'm going back and forth, and I'm feeling it. And I'm kind of getting, putting in my head what I do when I get to a hill that's kind of dangerous and, and how I navigate that. And as I'm going down the, the stretch, I'm thinking, this is meekness. What an amazing illustration. You have all of this power, but you have to know how to use it. You have to have this power in control. And here's what happens. When you have this strength, when you have this power, and it's out of control, you wreak havoc around you. You, re you hurt people. You, you hurt yourself. When I was first learning how to use it, I was mowing the steep hill over by our playground. <laughs> it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. I was going up the hill, and I hit the the cinder blocks, the retaining wall, and it has two tires on the front, and they caught that wall, and it started climbing up that wall, right? And the last thing I wanted to do was pull back on the sticks because I felt like I was falling backwards. But that was exactly what I had to do so I could back off the wall. But your inclination is, I don't want to go backwards. And, and by being out of control, I'm pushing on those things and it's climbing higher and higher and higher. And I realized, what are you doing? Pull back. And I pulled back and came down off the wall and I thought, that's a good life lesson. I will, I will share that somewhere, somehow, and here it is. 
Uh, Dave Damon is back there. He's doing slides. I don't know if you've met Dave. Uh, I know we have many guests on our, on our live feeds now. Dave is, he's a big boy. He's, uh, are you about six feet tall almost? About six feet taller? Six feet. So he's my height, and he's got about 100 pounds on me. Maybe not 100 pounds. But he's always been a big boy. And we've had a lot of conversations. When he was in school, he controlled his strength. Because if he didn't, he's going to kill somebody. Right? There's a lot of big guys that when you look at them, you think they're weak. And some of the guys did, right? In school, they thought he was weak because he always controlled his strength. Right up until the moment when he decided that his controlled strength had to be controlled in a different manner to put this person in their place. And then his meekness manifested itself in a way that caused a little bit of harm to the other person, but it was still under control. You wouldn't want to see Dave lose complete control. That would be a scary thing. So when we talk about meekness, we're talking about power under control, right? Power under the hand, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here in the hand of the rider in our lives, the, the one that is controlling the power of the horse, the one that is controlling the power of the mower, the one that is controlling the power of our lives, the hand of the rider in the lives of believers must be Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God. That is who should be controlling us at all, at all times. That's meekness. It's not weakness. It's a proper use and the controlled use of our strength. So turn in Ephesians. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. He says this. Now this is Paul, the apostle of the early church. He wrote the majority of the New Testament scriptures. Most of what he wrote was to churches. And he was writing to this church at a place called Ephesus. And he says this, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled, be filled with, capital S, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's command. Now listen, Paul fully understood that those who have trusted in Christ are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and later on, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a lot more detail, but there is a distinction, a difference between being indwelled by, that is to say the Holy Spirit has come and take residence in your life, and being controlled by, being led by the Holy Spirit of God. There is a difference between being empowered by, controlled by, led by the Spirit, than being indwelled by the Spirit. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the interesting analogy. He says, don't be drunk with wine. When you're drunk, you're out of control. Or you could say the control is the wine. Right? The control over you is this drunkenness. When you're filled with the Spirit, the control over you is the Holy Spirit of God. Now he says, here's some... Here's some indications. Here's what happens when we're full of the Holy Spirit. We speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We worship together. We sing and we make melody, not just with our lips, but in our hearts. And who do we make these melodies to? We make them to the Lord. We, we learn 
through the gift of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the control of the Holy Spirit, we learn to always give thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, look what it says, submitting to one another, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Meekness is controlled, controlled strength. But I want to I elaborate a little bit and remind you, meekness is spirit control. It's spirit control. Meekness is more than just simple self-control. Meekness is the control of the Holy Spirit. It is the willingness to be under control by the Holy Spirit. It requires submission to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We've, we've talked about this many times over the last 10 years that I've been pastoring you. Oftentimes, you can, you can distinguish between an evil spirit and a good spirit or the Holy Spirit. An evil spirit is oppressive. An evil spirit is abusive, right? The Holy Spirit is gentle and kind and loving. And so here we see that in order to be filled with the Spirit, we must be submissive. We must give over control. And as we give over control, He actually empowers us. He takes our meager strength and He adds to it His immense strength. And then we find that we are living the Beatitudes. We find that we are living kingdom law because the Holy Spirit in us is not only in control of our strength, He has added to it His immeasurable strength. And it's an amazing and beautiful combination. It requires submission. Well, I want to I share with you some things that, that I've shared with many young men and women that I have counseled over the years as they prepare to go into a marriage union. I have Melissa here. I, I counseled you and Kevin, right? Did I? Yeah, I thought so. I should, I should bring you up on stage and we should talk about it. How's it going? No, I won't do that to you. I'll warn you before I do that, but why don't we get into this idea of submission and wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, right? And, and as we get into that tricky part of Scripture, uh, sometimes the, the, the women will kind of bring their eyebrows down and stare holes into me and say, what do you mean i got to submit? Like Melissa, she was, oh, she was not, not going to do this. I'm joking. She was very sweet. She was very sweet, very kind. But here's the thing about submission. Submission is just not obedience. Submission is not just being a carpet. Submission is not being a slave. Submission requires trust. As a matter of fact, submission, submission is the greatest form of trust in our lives. Submission is trust. So husbands, when, when the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Essentially, he's also saying this. Husbands, be worthy, be worthy of the submission of your wife because submission requires trust. It is not just obedience. It's submission. It's an attitudinal thing. It requires trust. And trust is born out of an abundance of love. Right? You understand that? So if we are to submit to the Holy Spirit of God, if we are to bring ourselves under His control, what that means is we must trust 
him. Now, I know that sounds funny. Well, of course I can trust God, but do we? I remember Pastor Z, our founding pastor many years ago, he would talk about this. Oh, you trust God for your salvation, but you don't trust him for your life? What's wrong with that? And he's 100% right. Because many times we come to Jesus for salvation and we receive this great benefit of eternal life and forgiveness of our sins and then God calls us to walk in a certain way and do a certain thing and love a certain person and forgive this other person and and give this gift and, and, and we go, oh no, I couldn't possibly do that. Why? Because I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Because I don't trust that God has the power for this to turn out for good. Submission requires trust and so trust requires knowing how loved you are. Trust requires knowing how loved you are. For 10 years, for 10 years, I've pastored this church. Oh, I've got to change that. Next month, it'll be 11 years I've pastored this church. There were times I wasn't sure I was going to make it through. We've had some difficult times with Kirsten and other things. And for 10 years, I've been trying my hardest to share with this church how much God loves her, how much God loves you. Because the reality is, until you are convinced in your spirit to the very bottom of the soles of your feet, to the top of your head, until you are wholly convinced of the immense love of God for you. And not just for the salvation of your eternal soul. I mean, He loves loves you personally. He loves you personally. Personally. Personally loves you. The very person you are, your personality, your character, the very person He fashioned you to be absolutely loves you until you know that almost everything else we are called to do is impossible because when God calls us to love and forgive and give and trust and serve all of that requires for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God is to submit to God to submit to God is to trust God to trust God requires us that, that we know that we know how loved we are how could we possibly put ourselves in some of these positions that God calls us to put ourselves in without knowing that God loves us with an immensity (laughs) that we possibly, we could not possibly understand. If you read through the book of Ephesians, you'll start to see how important that is. The first three chapters lay out the love of God for His creation in particular, particularly for those who have trusted in Christ. We go on to Philippians now, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your, let your gentleness, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord, here's that word, is at hand. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ 
Jesus our Lord. What does it look like to be meek in the real world? Right? What does meekness look like in the real world? When we finally have submitted to God, what does it look like? Well, number one, it looks like submission to the Word of God. When we are in submission to the Holy Spirit, we begin to read His Word, and His Word challenges us in certain ways, in certain things that we're doing, ways that we're acting, things that we're thinking, right? And we realize, well, listen now, I am meek toward God, I'm controlled by God, so if His Word says it, then I must yield to His Word, even if I don't agree with it, because He is God and I am man, and I know He loves me and has my best interest in His heart. You follow? It looks like submission to the will of God. We, we not only pray for deliverance, and listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for deliverance, But when deliverance doesn't come, instead of throwing a temper tantrum, we continue to pray for strength to walk with faith the journey of pain that God has called us to. And we trust Him that He loves us. And He is preparing a place for us. Remember, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This world is my mission. This world is my mission to spread the love and hope of Jesus, the light of God, to the dark places in this earth. It looks like submission to the Word. It looks like submission to the will. It looks like a posture of calm assurance that is resting in the hand of Jesus. That is meekness. Strength under control. Calm. Not losing your mind. Not losing control. He says, let your gentleness, that is to say, meekness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is my control. The Lord is my power. The Lord is my strength. Circumstances should not be able to shake the heart of a believer out of his confidence in Christ because his presence is real. Meekness is the act of being in control of our wildest dispositions. Some of you have a terrible temper. I used to have a terrible temper. I still do. 99% of the time, my terrible temper is in control by the Holy Spirit of God. I say 99% of the time because I'm still here in this flesh and blood and I am not living in a perfected state yet. But there was a time when I was younger that it was 50% of the time my terrible temper was under control. 50% of the time. 40% of the time. And as I grew in grace, God gave me mastery over my wilder dispositions. And here's something that we need to understand. Just because we can do a thing doesn't mean we should do a thing. This would be something that the world would do well to learn. Just because we can do a thing doesn't mean that we should do a thing. We need to be controlled by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. He is our friend. Just because we can do a thing doesn't mean we should do a thing. Just because I could take that lawnmower and just put those handles forward 
and ripped through this property with 24 horsepower at full speed doesn't mean I should do that thing. Why not? Because I'm going to destroy the property and maybe myself in the process as I flip the thing over. There's a pastor, there's a friend of mine on Facebook, he was doing some tree work, I think, on his house. And he was up on a ladder and he was using a chainsaw and he had all that power. And unfortunately, something was not in control. And he fell. And he had a massive head injury and he didn't survive. Sometimes we, we don't consider our strength, we don't consider our power, and we just don't consider whether we should do a thing. We only consider about whether it can be done. And we end up hurting others, but we also end up hurting ourselves. Meekness, then, is the absence of a lost temper. It's the absence of a bully. It's the absence of fear-mongering. I had an evangelist tell me once that, oh, I love what you're doing in your church, but you know, you gotta, you got to have, your congregation has to be at least a little bit afraid of you. Otherwise, you'll lose control of them. Now, I love this guy, but I couldn't have disagreed with him more. Meekness is the peacefulness of the soul. It's being in the hand of our Savior. Remember, the hand that's on the bridle. Controlling our strength and flooding our soul with His strength. Meekness is being in the hand of the Savior. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. The reality of meekness is the supernatural outcome of the poorness of the Spirit and mourning over sin builds on what's gone on before and it produces something in us that we will inherit the earth. But what on earth, what earth will we inherit? This is interesting. First um, Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. We just sang that song. Um, through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look what he says now. We will inherit the earth to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through, the, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We go over to Acts. So I said, who are you, Lord? Paul the apostle, when he was confronted by Jesus before he was a Christian, said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, <clears throat> but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified, set apart by faith in me. The meek will inherit the earth. What earth? Let's look here again at, at, at 2 Peter 
Chapter number three, the meek will inherit the earth. What earth? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Why? Because the earth, since the fall of man, has been corrupted. It's been under the curse of God. Folks, the earth, this is not the earth that we're going to inherit. What are we going to inherit? Oh, man. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, uh, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, man, the, the inheritance is the new earth. We talk about inheritance, the meek shall inherit the earth. Too many of us think that we're going to inherit this earth. And oh, I'm going to inherit property on this earth. And I'm going to inherit this. Listen, it's going to be a, you don't want to inherit this earth. This earth is under the curse. You don't want to inherit this earth. We stand because we have trusted in Christ as our Savior to inherit the new earth, new heaven. In a new earth, we look for the promise, the inheritance, in which righteousness dwells. Trust Him. Submit to Him. Be controlled by Him. Meekness, meekness. It's controlled strength. It's controlled strength. What a beautiful thing that God has given to us. What a wonderful promise that He's written in His Word. Now, if you're one of those that this morning has said, Pastor, I have not trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I want to know Him. You said this morning that until we know how loved we are, we can't possibly submit Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to know how loved you are for the first time in your life. I tell you, the cross that stands behind me stands behind me because we will never abandon the cross of Jesus Christ because the cross represents the cross section of God's wrath toward our sin and His love toward His creation. He loves you more than you can possibly understand. And he wants to be your Savior. Will you trust him this morning? And for those of you that are believers, and we struggle and we, we stumble, I really believe part of our struggle and part of our stumbling is because we have not developed our understanding of how much our Father loves us. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.